Welcome to NavChat, the show for the New Zealand orienteering and navigation sports community. Hey, Emmy, how's it going? Oh, good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, this is cool to be switching guests, actually. I really like having like a, a change of scene each time. And um, how was it for you coming on a second time? Was it a bit, were you a bit nervous the first time? Yeah, I didn't really, um, I, I guess I was a bit nervous and I didn't really know the structure and maybe I sort of rambled a bit more than I should have. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I feel like I have a better idea of, you know, the sort of concepts that the audience might be interested in this time. So yeah, hopefully it goes well. Cool. Well, I think that that bodes well because um, I'm also interested in getting on uh, more people. There's no reason why we can't <laughs> open open the uh, co-hosting up to really anyone. I mean, Tom and I started it, but there, there's no reason why we can't get um, other people on. So um, if anyone else is interested, then um, send me a message if you're someone who likes the kind of uh, media and content creation stuff. Uh, I'll definitely be asking around as well because I think it's quite fun to get everyone involved. There's nothing super special that I'm doing that other people uh, can't do. So um, yeah, let's let's get into today's uh, topics. Um, first, we've got uh, an interview with uh, Felix Hunt. So um, do you remember the first time you met Felix? Um, yeah, definitely. It was when we were um, coaching for the 2019 um, Aussie Champs and Schools Champs um, uh, Australia New Zealand Schools Challenge and yeah, I remember him um, in the junior boys, I think, and running pretty fast. And um, he talks about in the interview how he had a few missed punches, and I, I do remember that too. Yeah, yeah, that was my my first memory as well. So um, now I'm seeing him, at, yeah, at the top of the uh, junior elite grades, which is is really cool to see someone uh, make that progress uh, over the past few years. So uh, let's take a listen at what he has to say. Hello, hey Felix, how's it going? Good, sorry, my computer was having an absolute mess, so I had to switch to a different one because it was not loading the link for some reason. All good. Well, thanks for coming on that chat. We've been keen to get uh, someone someone younger on and get some different perspectives on orienteering. So uh, for the listeners who don't know you, um, where are you based and how did you discover orienteering? Um, so I live in Christchurch, I'm year 12 at high school. Um, my name is Felix, <laughs> and uh, I, I started orienteering um, midway through primary school, I guess, in like year five or six or something. Um, Christina Freeman and Jean Corey Wright ran like a little give it a go thing at our primary school up in a park um, nearby, and I did that and loved it, so I kept, kept doing it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we singled you out because you're um, not unfamiliar to putting content on YouTube. Um, yeah, so you're obviously really like orienteering. What is it about the sport that um, you know you find so energizing? Um, I don't know. I, I love the outdoors, um, and I love the like competition aspect of it, and just the fact that every course is every league and every course is completely different. So. Like each time you take over the like flip over the map and run in a competition or something, you never know what's coming. And it's always exciting because it's yeah, it's not like other sports where you sometimes do the same thing over and over again or a similar thing over and over again. It's like always completely different and different terrain and stuff like that. So yeah, cool. 
I think we first met when uh, we were in Australia some years ago. I was the, the coach of the um, secondary schools team and you were in the team over there. Um, I remember you being super enthusiastic back then. I think I also remember you mispunching a lot. Is that, was yeah. that correct? Yeah, I think I mispunched three races in Australia. Out of what, like yeah. seven, seven or, or eight or something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I remember the coaches talking like, "Wow, the, the, who's this little Felix kid? Like, he's so into it." Uh, but if only he could get all the controls, <laughs> it'd be so good if he could get all the controls. So, how's that come along? Is is that something that's um, improved? Do you remember back then to share some insight into um, like what was going on in, in your head in those races? Because you're not the only one that um, this punches. Like we we all do it, and it, it's always so sneaky how it happens. Do you have any insight into what was going on back then? Yeah, it's quite weird because other than that competition i haven't really mispunched any more than a normal than, than most people do like obviously it's been the occasional one like once or twice a year but um or maybe not even that but like and at that, that competition i guess i was just it was my first time like at one of those like at a really big uh i've done like nah, i've done queen's birthday to qualify and i think that was the only real big competition or oh, national school design and that was the only things I did before Aussie um yeah I guess I was just probably running faster than I had before in an orienteering course um so some of the controls I just I think two out of the three miss punches I just like forgot to go to a control kind of thing like I didn't go to the wrong one I just like read my map wrong and went straight from like five to seven or something like that um yeah i don't really know why i don't know just like yeah it's very yeah. sneaky it's, it's very sneaky when these things happen and yeah as you say you get to the finish and you're always surprised you're like that what yeah. what i didn't i didn't miss one and then you're yeah. like what happened i don't really don't really understand but yeah i, I think that i think that's probably a, a part of it what you said is that um trying to run faster than what you normally do um just messing with the routine a little bit, trying to go too fast. Mm. Um, I suspect that was uh, that was definitely part of it. But that's good to hear. It's not something that's plagued your orienteering in the years since. Mm. Um, you went to? Did you go to Australia this year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, how was that? That um, was good. Yeah. Um, in like Kyneton near Melbourne this year, which was fun. Um, in Vic, and it was, yeah, it was a good competition. I only missed much one race this time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was quite worried beforehand that I wasn't going to be able to race because I was sick for about three weeks before, before we went away. I had like a nasty cough after the, um, after the ultra long, um, at Castle Hill and it kind of started clearing up. And then about five days before I was meant to fly out, I was at school and, like got a fever and like um like my cough came back really bad and stuff and so I was in bed for the next couple of days um so I was quite dubious if I was going to be able to run at all but then when I got over there and I had to walk the first couple of races but then on like the morning of the school's races the ones that really count um so I just missed the first two which were kind of just warm-up races anyway on the morning of the actual school's races I felt a whole bunch better and I was basically able to run um as hard as I usually would uh, for the whole competition after that, which was good. 
Cool. And were you, were you happy with your orienteering over there? Um, pretty happy. Yeah, I definitely felt like speed-wise I'd lost a bit being sick, but my actual like technical performance as well, I was pretty happy with because obviously we I've only run over there once before and I didn't make many mistakes, only small ones. Um, yeah, across the different terrains as well, like because it was we ran in rocks and we ran in like gold mining and stuff and spur gully. So yeah, it was it's definitely it felt good to be able to run on all the different types and not really screw up too much. Cool. Yeah, that that's really cool going from um, your your local terrain in Christchurch and in New Zealand to something totally different and. Um, being able to handle that that difference, uh, I definitely remember finding that really hard when I was younger. I thought I was um, really good, but it turns out I was just kind of good in my local the local terrain. I probably even like knew the map off by heart anyway. And yeah, it, it always uh, you you meet reality pretty quickly when you go overseas. So uh, that's really cool. What else are you doing uh, with the, your, your friends? Um, are there people from your school that do orienteering or any other? Um, friends in the club that you train with locally and yeah what do you get up to yeah so um a couple of years ago uh oh well, i tried to get some of my friends to start orienteering and we managed to kind of they they got hooked as well so we managed to form kind of a team for, for shirley we at first named like jokingly named it sbox shirley boys orienteering club because it was only like three of us doing it but the name kind of stuck and we've done a whole bunch of uh, competitions together since then. And last year we had a go at making some, some GoPro videos of our orienteering, um, which has kind of fallen off a bit recently. We haven't been on top of getting the editing done and stuff. So we kind of have had a bit of a lull in that, but it would definitely be something that I'd like to get back into. Um, and yeah, we've kind of been running our, our own trainings basically on and off. Like sometimes we do it most weeks leading up to competitions and stuff. Just in, but our school is only about a five minute bike away from Bottle Lake Forest. So we kind of do trainings after school there sometimes. And yeah, it's good. We've all been like pushing ourselves to start like doing more running and stuff together. So it's been really good for all of us, I guess. Cool. And is it still just the, the three of you? Uh, there's five of us now, yeah, um, and we're getting some more some more people to to give it a go as well. Mm-hmm. Some younger kids at our school, so we're growing slowly. <laughs> yeah, that that's where it starts. It starts with someone who's really enthusiastic and can make the environment really fun. I think, and then everyone uh, joins in, and you you bring your friends, and it, it grows from there. So, yeah, that sounds like a really good place to be, and that's really cool that you have Bottle Lake so close to your school. I was expecting mm-hmm. that you were just doing sprint training and on some park maps or something. Uh, but that's like that's a really good map actually like you can do some really good uh orienteering in there so that's really cool um what what's next for you uh this is kind of the end of the end of the year now isn't it maybe some some camps or something over summer but then um yeah any plans looking forward to anything next year any big dreams yeah um after after a bit of deliberation our family decided that we we're going to go on a trip to Tasmania for kind of Oceania's and an extended holiday kind of thing so that's definitely the next big goal um is Oceania's mm. um 
yeah, I'm just aiming for some good results and M20 there. So I'm kind of, that's, that's what I've been going to be training for over the summer. Um, yeah, and then obviously after that next year, like EOC and Jaywalk later on, the Europe trip is definitely, yeah. even though it's far away, it's definitely a big goal as well. Cool. Yeah, that sounds really motivating. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing, Felix. And yeah, good luck with the training over summer and um, good luck taking it to the Aussies again in Tasmania. Thanks, Dean. <laughs> okay, so we just uh, heard the interview with Felix Hunt um, and he was talking about how he got into orienteering in primary school and um, that really resonated with me because that's sort of a similar story to how I got into orienteering and I think it's just so valuable when we have those um, orienteers who are happy to take time and and um, go to different schools and, and teach kids. You know, not everyone will um, enjoy it, but there'll definitely be some that that pick it up and carry on. And and then he was talking about um, how he had a series of missed punches at Aussie Champs as well and um, didn't really say, you know, how he, how he managed to break out of that pattern of mispunching. And I sort of tend to think that um, we sometimes see in the sort of high profile events that I think mispunches are a bit more frequent. And I think it's something to do with um, the level of stress at a, a serious competition. It's, um, uh, yeah, you know, administration and admin area errors start to creep in because there's just so many, when, when we're emotionally stressed, there's so many things that we're trying to juggle cognitively and it just becomes harder, I think, to um, prevent those admin mistakes. Yeah, I think that's um, probably pretty close to, to my sense of it. Looking back over when I'm yeah, making, um, doing mainly what Felix does, just missing a control frequently, um, totally not seeing it on the map or something like that. So yeah, it's a tricky one. And I guess practice is probably the only um, way for that to become less frequent, but it's still happening. You still see it happening at World Champs. Someone runs straight past a, a control, you see the GPS slide by. <laughs> Yeah. Well, when you're so much on your edge, um, trying to take ma maximum risk and push yourself as hard as you can in those serious competitions, then yeah, mistakes do become more likely. But I think we can also practice getting ourselves into the right um, emotional state. Um, you know, sort of sports psychologists talk to talk about levels of excitation. You want to be amped up for a race, but not overly um, amped up to the point of nerves that actually detract from your performance so you can practice being in that right state of mind with enough sort of nervous anticipation but not too much that it starts to inhibit your thinking and um yeah cool really interesting so you've brought some topics with you today uh how about you get us started on those yeah so a uh, few things to talk about kind of on a theme you know around uh, recent competitions that we've had in October, end of um, September. Um, first, I might just um, give some of my own personal reflections. Um, so uh, for people that don't know, um, we're currently in Vancouver at the moment and um, we, uh, you know, going into our winter now, there's not a heap of orienteering around here. Um, and I've just been sort of mulling over what to do with my own training. Um, I haven't had a coach for a little while, so I've kind of been a bit self-directed. 
And I find that quite hard um, because I sort of second guess what I should be doing, even though I've had a lot of experience training um, for a while now. Um, yeah, I, I sort of sometimes wonder, should I be doing more speed work? Should I be doing less speed work? Should I be doing more or less volume? And, and that to me is what I think a coach can um, help me with. I think for everyone it's different. Some people may um, not have that level of uncertainty or can deal with that uncertainty better. But, but for me, I found um, having a coach uh, does just take that pressure off me having to make the decision about what training I should be doing. So that's what I've been kind of thinking about at the moment. Yeah, I also wonder how that plays into people who are at school with a training group. Uh, maybe that also takes away some of the uncertainty. You just kind of fit in with what everyone else is doing. Um, and maybe if you just think about it from a social perspective as well, just join in with, with your friends because it's fun and just getting the training done is almost effortless from that point once you're um, not, yeah, not, not having to tackle the uncertainty of not knowing what to do. You're just doing it because everyone's doing the same thing and it seems to be you know, hard or good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's just one less mental overhead. And if you're somebody who's, you know, I guess in my day job, I'm making a lot of decisions. And I'm dealing with a lot of uncertainty as it is. It's just nice to have an area mm. of life where you don't have to um, make those decisions and carry that mental overhead. Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking about getting a coach, but at the moment you've written me some training. So I've got a bit of a structure and we're just um, trying to get out the door when it's dark and rainy at the moment. Um, but yeah, in terms of the orienteering side of things, um, so at the end of September, we had um, Aussie champs. So Jean and I, we were following along and um, it was cool to see uh, what people doing, were doing and what the terrains looked like. Um, so I had some interesting learning. So the first one um, I thought was pretty cool was the Aussie middle champs. So Jean, I think you've got that up on the screen now. This is the men's elite race and I just thought this area was um, so tight and quite detailed in the center there um, and very easy for people to lose their way I could see there were quite a lot of mistakes um, and just in particular like so they, they have to go through this detailed area several times um, and on the way back through like I, I particularly was interested in leg 10 to 11 because um, you there's no sort of hills in the way you could sort of take a straight approach. Um, and you know, that doesn't, doesn't look too bad on the surface of it. And when I looked at it, I sort of thought, yeah, I would go straight from 10 to 11, but yeah, this is actually the, the shot. That's really interesting that um, it, the people who did well on that leg actually sort of veered off to the left and they were taking those cliffs in, which are far more distinct features than, um, that sort of nothing area in the middle, I was thinking, oh, yeah, that clearing should be a nice attack point, you know, straight on the line. Yep, that one. But, um, you know, if you miss it, then where are you? You know, there's so many streams there, rocks, you could really end up in no man's land. So it seems like, you know, taking in those cliffs off to the um, to the south was quite beneficial. Yeah. Any thoughts on this race from you, Jean? Yeah, it does look pretty terrifying. I'm um, going straight in off the start triangle into this area. And then um, once you're a little bit tired, I guess by the time 10 and 11, you've probably worked it out. I'm most get my number one. Actually, it's just very overwhelming off the start line. Um, yeah, 10, 
10 to 11, I don't think I'd be going straight. I, I definitely like the, um, the, the safety of the, these cliffs over here. It's something you can't overrun. And it's also at the right height for the control. So yeah, it gives you right. some yeah, additional, you know, you don't often think of contouring as a handrail, but it's kind of like a you know, advanced handrail um, contouring into a, a control site. So yeah, it, it, it just seems too risky for, for a middle distance to go, you know, try to pick up some little things in here and get up. And when you do look at the, the participants here, yeah, they're, they're definitely going left. So yeah. I think there's some consensus that the safety of those cliffs is, is worth uh, getting some exposure to. Yeah, it does look very tricky. Like a lot of these little, um, tiny little features, it just like bamboozles your brain when you when you see the map. There's so much going on. You don't know what to simplify, what to ignore. So yeah, this looks like a really cool area. Yeah, I mean, even two to three, that looks super tricky. You'd almost have to count watercourses and... It's a high risk of getting that wrong. It's in a lower visibility area. That's that's just really well, and a lot of people high. are getting this one wrong. It's very it's very short leg, but um where's the safety? You know, if there's just yeah. this repeating parallel small water channels, some marshes, again, not that distinct, some little spurs and knolls, uh, doesn't stand out. So those who have got on the compass have done it well, and everyone who's veered too far left. Mm -hmm hasn't found anything to to grasp onto there's there's really nothing so maybe this is one of these um these short legs where you do it as fast as possible and if you're going to screw it up then make that mistake as fast as possible as well and get maybe get out to the bottom try to get it perfectly if you don't go back to the stream below and up um yeah yeah you want to do it fast and you want to do it straight i think there's there's nothing to to avoid i guess tricky everywhere yeah. Yeah. So that was that was the middle. And then um, I was also um, wanting to share with everyone some thoughts from the long distance. So you've got that there. That didn't look as technical. There were um, obviously some tricky rock detail areas, um, but the real interest is in navigating the steep slopes and the route choices, I thought. Um, so, so, yeah, one important learning, and I think um, this is also the case in the, you know, we had the World Cup in Switzerland, is, is really just um, when you've got a steep leg on a slope, you know, where do you tackle that slope? Do you go straight down? Um, do you contour along for a bit? Um, I was just interested to see in some of the legs how people were, were taking the flatter areas of the slope and really um, using them to their advantage. Yeah, maybe you can't find a good example there, but um, and I think the men's uh, course had a better better example. Um, but then on the other um, interesting part on the on the long was of course the route choices. So why don't you go, Jean, to um, uh, leg? I think it was fifteen to sixteen on this, the women's one, fifteen to sixteen. Yeah, it's a really long, really long one. I'll zoom in um, a little bit so you've got. Uh, we'll just hide the. So 15 is quite close to this road that goes really wide. 16 is all the way up here. So there's a big road option, which is always tempting for the speedy runners. And you've got this, these ridgeline vehicle tracks. 
which is also tempting for some speedy runners if they're keen to take on some climb early and maybe yeah, some so variations of corner cutting on that. It kind of seems option. like you've got mainly right or left with a lot of those um, out-of-bounds areas in the centre. And, um, and yeah, there's a... A decision to be made as to whether that you know you want to try and avoid a little bit of um, extra climb at the end of the leg by taking um, the route on the left, um, and and then with a leg like this where you're you're looking at the two distances and you're thinking, oh, you know, they look maybe similar. Um, a, a good thing to do is to look at the entry into the control. So I thought that was kind of a a, a good point for this one. I think. Um, maybe coming in from the top is easier. So if you, you know, undecided, um, maybe looking at the entry into the control to make your decision. Yeah, it's very close to this trail off to the uh, northwest of the control and the gully will be very distinct as well. So yeah, it's quite quite a safe approach. Yeah, so at the yeah, end of the day, it's it looks like- ball. It's like quite, quite a long leg. There's a lot of things to consider You've got to have some mental model for uh, making a decision. Otherwise, you could be thinking about this thing for, you know, all day, trying to work out what you prefer. Yeah. Yeah, so it looks like um, Aislinn was actually faster taking the right route, but on the men's course, they had a pretty similar, maybe the same leg, and the fast runners took the left route. So... I think it was probably pretty even at the end of the day. So yeah, as with sprinting, just make a choice and and go with it when it looks pretty equal like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing here, people are not going straight up the hill. They're um, contouring, you know, trying to be pretty efficient. Uh, so there are a number of ways to do this better and worse. And you, you can see some little extra distance run by some people further out here. So one of, some of these legs possibly come down to execution more than the choice of route, although the yeah. choice of route takes up all this planning time because you have to commit to something. But at the end of the day, it's these little execution. Things. Yeah. Like this is interesting here, going one way around the hill. Not quite sure about some of these, like these little corner cuts that can be done here. Yeah, and that sort of cutting really depends on the terrain, doesn't it? So, I mean, it's all mapped as white, but we don't really know what it looks like on the ground. So, for example, at the start of that leg with the leftward route, in a, in a different sort of terrain, like in Italy, we ran in areas where it was mapped white, but there were so many rocks on the ground. In that sort of terrain, you might want to just go straight up and spend as little time as possible um, in, in those mm. rocks and, and then run the track. And then it might also depend on your skills as a runner as well. So if you're a person who, you know, has really good physical fitness and you like hiking steep hills and you know you can do that fast, then maybe you do just want to like cut up a bit more directly. It, it just depends on the terrain. Mm. Cool. So, yeah, maybe we should also have a look now at the um, World Cup races because that had um, some similar interesting interesting points to um, the Aussie long distance champs. So um, yeah, at the start of October, we had uh, the final round of the 2022 World Cup in Switzerland, in Davos. Um, and so they had a relay, a middle and a long. 
And um, why don't you pull up the long distance? Um, there's some interesting learnings there, which has kind of had some similar thoughts on this as I did with the Aussie long distance. Um, but at the end of the day, um, the winner for the women's was um, Simona Abersold. And, um, you know, these days we're pretty used to Tove Alexanderson winning everything, but she, on this occasion she didn't. Uh, it's good to see that she's also human. Um, but, yeah, why don't you just show the leg 11 to 12? Because I looked at that and I, I thought, okay, really I want to go to the track just seeing how steep that slope is. But, you know, maybe some of the runners who know that terrain know something that I don't know. Maybe it's actually easy to find a little animal track or a route through contouring. But, um, yeah, you can see, yeah, if you play that leg out. Um, so I don't know if it was obvious, but um, Tove was actually in the lead at 11, and then she loses it um, on the way to 12 by taking Yeah, so I've mass started at 11. So, yeah, we've lost that. But um, do you know what color? It's hard to see. If you just take the last yes. 10 runners, maybe, or click. Um, just take the last 10 and then I think she might have been in green. Yeah, she's in green. Yeah, she is in, in there in the middle. But, yeah, it turns out that that middle contouring is really not a good choice. Hagstrom in there as well, going quite slow for someone who's a very fast runner. So, yeah, basically you can see the two packs that have formed the road crew and the contour crew and those who are contouring are really making pretty slow progress. And that's not because contouring is bad. It's because look how close these contours are together. That is a very steep slope to sidle along. It's also got cliffs on it. So you know, it's going to be really steep in patches and you're going to have to duck down to get over some of the, uh, under get some stuck. of the cliffs. Yeah. There's going to be little, like little bluffy features that are not mapped. So, yeah, that's, I think, a bit of a, a mistake to just consider, like, we can just look at some of, these, some of these areas here. I'll try to draw on the map. Look how close the contours are together, uh, like, in, in this area, in this area here. Yeah. And then, then just compare it to, you know, somewhere, somewhere further up here. Uh, the terrain's almost twice as steep. They're not just both steep. Like terrain can get twice as steep and then it can get twice as steep again. And it becomes mm -hmm. so hard to even move uh, when the, the slopes are that steep. You can also see, yeah, some other patches further around. There, there, are, there is a difference between steep and extremely steep. And I don't think that was acknowledged by some of the runners here. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that was um, a similar leg on the, on the men's as well. And, um, yeah, I wanted to also highlight, um, why a, don't you go to the men's race? Comparison. So here's. Yeah. Um, oh, you've got side by side. Yeah, yeah, I found them here. Yeah, this is what you're asking, I think. Yeah, so she's really getting caught up in these bluffs here. Yeah, that's Oof. an example of just what you were talking about, actually. Yeah. Oof. I mean, her tail is so short. That's one minute of movement right there. Oh, that's a lot of time loss on a on a route choice. 
and now she's kind of over it and just heading back up to the trail. So she's taken on, you know, most of the climb anyway. So yeah, yeah that's pretty rough. Yeah, not good. Take the slope seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and the closeness of the contours. Yeah. Um, so why don't you look at go go towards the end, either on the women's or the men's. Um, like there's also a decisive long leg that's kind of closer to the end. I think it's 222, yeah, on the women's. And it's quite a tricky leg. It's one of those legs you look at it and you think, oh, danger, you know, I could really lose some time here. And some of the earlier legs on the course, you know, maybe lull you into a sense of security. You're doing well so far. You know, um, there's enough uh, obvious features to guide you into things. Um, but then you've got this leg with a lot of climb, getting close to the end of the course, you're tired. And you've got this <laughs> diagonal down a slope, which could really go wrong. Um, so, yeah, why don't you see how the runners um, played that one out? What do you like here as an attack point on this leg? Yes, yeah, a really good question. Um, I would be tempted to stay on the road for longer. And the, so the road that's to the right on the screen that you, you can see Simona Abersold and Andrean Benjaminson up there and come down at that um, open strip or the spur. Um, like, yeah, use one of those things. Stay on the track as long as possible rather than trying to go contouring straight like a lot of the field. I guess they've split into kind of two packs. But um, it's just quite dangerous um, coming from the side. What about you? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm unsure why they're taking such risks on the slope there. There seems to be a pretty good solution to mitigate that risk. I am impressed by how few of them have made big mistakes. Yeah. We've seen a bit of circling by a few that have come too low, perhaps hit this distinct uh, re-entrant re gully behind the control it and come back um yeah there, there seem to be some pretty big risks some people have got themselves too far low so it's, it seems to be a risk that didn't need to be to be taken and to answer the attack point question i see i see features like this hill here just off the the straight clearing um, this boulder here best on the clearing is, is really good attack points to get you in. Um, and it's very safe to get get through these. You don't have to you know, take risks on the, on the big slope. So, yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then also, um, this was something you mentioned when we were looking at this leg, going back earlier in this leg. Um, you also see that, that I just wanted to emphasize how important running speed and strength are in this type of terrain. Um, you know, you've got from the previous control, you've got a pretty brutal climb coming out of there. And we saw, you know, in both men and women's side, you know, runners who are physically strong and on climbs like this just really can play that to their advantage. So it's it's no coincidence that like some of the really strong runners like Andreen Benjaminson, Elena Roos, um, obviously like the Swiss are familiar with the terrain as well, but these fast runners are really coming out on top and you just need that in this terrain to tackle the climbs with the aggression and speed. Yeah, there's not much navigation going on up that hill. You can get some time on your competitors for sure if you have the strength. So has that um, 
that so I know Jean that you want to you're interested in going to Switzerland next year has that um played into your thinking about how you're going to train for for this race this type of race yeah it has um and we also did a talk uh, we had a high performance talk and we had some good inputs from um Florian Schneider our Swiss um informer and uh, he's given us some good yeah good insights to the terrain over there and he he concurred with this point that there are some really tricky bits where you need to be with the navigation uh, but there are some parts where running is all important and you need to be all with the running and to the extent that you can only lose time on the tricky navigation parts you can't win a race by going extra fast on the tricky parts you can only lose it by making a mistake you can gain time on the big climbs by being really fit so I'm looking forward to doing some hill training in terrain uh, heading yet yeah, towards next season if I'm you know, still feeling good enough to um, trial for world champs. So, yeah, definitely playing into my thinking. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And we also saw on the men's side that um, Daniel Hubman won this race. Um, Again, the Swiss showing just how strong they are in the terrain, but it's also cool to see because he's 39 years old now. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I didn't actually realize he was, I knew he had a really long season, but a uh, really long uh, career. But, you know, I know he started as like, you know, just coming out of juniors was already um, one, of, one of the best. So that, that's pretty incredible to have such a long uh, elite career and 32nd World Cup. Uh, victory it's certainly uh, I've been feeling a, a little bit nervous about uh, getting old and, and <laughs> see, seeing people uh, like Danielle continue to get um, just to, to stay just as strong as they've always been uh, at this age is really encouraging and yeah I think it allows me to relax a little bit and not make any you know um, emotional decisions about how much training I should do and whether the clock is ticking or not. So, yeah, I thought that was uh, really cool. Yeah, well, I think we've seen um, in running over and over that um, it's not, you know, who can do the best training or crack the perfect formula that's going to come out on top on the day. It's the person who can be consistent over years and years and consistency in training pretty much trumps everything. So, you know, the number one priority should be staying injury-free and keeping some fitness up. And if you can do that, then, you know, you can keep really good cardio metabolic fitness out, out into your late thirties or forties. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Cool. Is, is that all the topics from, from you today? Some really good yeah, ones. Yeah. That's, along. that's really all from me. Maps. Cool. Um, I had one more thing that I was interested to talk about. It's just been kind of on the, on the top of my mind. What do you feel like when you, look back at the orienteering season in Auckland. I know you haven't been in Auckland um, all, all the time, but maybe you can talk about some of the other regions that you've uh, lived in. And yeah, how does the season feel to you? And do you have any other sports that you've done to kind of compare the orienteering season to? Or maybe mm. you have done the sports, but you've observed observed these sports? Um. So the orienteering season in Auckland, um, I mean, I sort of see it as there's less on over the summer and then you'd get the summer series, which is 
pretty casual. Um, it's not going to be the preparation that you need if you want to prepare for technical forest racing. Um, so I see the season usually is kind of getting started in in March and actually it's often gets started quite close to nationals so by the time you get to nationals you haven't got that much experience forest experience under your belt and then it kind of continues through the winter and if you go to Europe then you know you get that that bonus of of their season in the middle of your um, New Zealand winter when otherwise there there would be some events um, some AOS races um which which are really good um and then towards the end of the year there's sort of regional competitions if you can get to them um and probably less um aos racing and forest racing sort of towards october november so i kind of would would like to see maybe a more um a bit more preparation leading up to say nationals and having a a more defined peak uh, to the season, uh, that would be quite cool. Yeah. I think the season you've just described is very long. And if you compare it to any other sport, it's really long. I don't see any other sports that have mm. such a long season. And I think in, in New Zealand, the weather's okay. So we kind of dragged it out all year and that seems to be okay. But I think it's come at a trade-off that we struggle to get momentum in parts of our seasons because the events are becoming a bit scarce, a bit, bit thin, <laughs> thin on the ground. So, um, yeah, in I had some um, contribute contribution towards planning the Auckland calendar for next year, and that was the first time I've been involved. So it was interesting to see how the how the process works. And we've got multiple clubs in Auckland, so there's some things trading off. Um, but yeah, I I think there is there's room to plan some some seasons that do have more concentrated periods and yeah just it's okay to have some time off orientarian i think and just not have some events for a couple of months and then come back raring to go because you haven't had any orientarian for a few months that's how every other sport works and people don't disappear because they haven't played football for a few months no mm -hmm. they have an off season and maybe they do some summer football um but the, a football season is, is very concentrated and and builds towards some kind of crescendo and then there's a big tournament week and and then uh, it's all fun and everyone celebrates and looks forward to to next year whereas yeah it's in, it's just interesting and orientarian i don't have all the answers but that we're doing something very different and we seem to be struggling with at least so some of the people i hang out with find that the season uh the kind of lacks focus and, and lacks momentum and it'd be fun mm. to have some some races that are really concentrated and builds the energy builds the hype and yeah definitely cool. the yeah. the second half of the year has always felt a little um a little aimless or it has less direction like you say so that would be cool and yeah you're right comparing it to other sports like say even you know track um athletics they have their cross-country season and that's defined and they have their track season and both are shorter and then there's time for breaks in between yeah just just interesting it'd be cool to look back in five years and see if we've managed to change the way things uh, are run and whether other people uh, think about it similarly or not so that's our topics for uh, this month um, what are you looking forward to in the the month ahead <laughs> well, there's a bit of a sense of foreboding here about the weather because we've just had our first few weeks of rain and it's, it can be pretty unrelenting at times um, and it's definitely colder. So a um, bit of apprehension there. It's dark, um, but.
But I am looking forward to learning to ski. That will probably be December. I'm really excited about that. Um, and just continuing to get some good base mileage training done. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, much the same, um, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah, there's no urgency with, with my racing. So um, just building those uh, those hours each week um, feels good. And my fitness is responding to the volume. So, yeah, I'm happy and keen to keep uh, rolling with the same same formula and similar back home in New Zealand. There's, there's racing going on. So um, people can just do some you know, good base training and uh, come back uh, early next year. Cool. Well, um, see you in a, a future um, month of Navjet, Emmy, and not sure who we'll have on uh, next month, but in, until then, see ya. Okay, see ya. If you liked the show, please support it by sharing this podcast with one person who would benefit from it. The best place to find more content like this is at genebeverage.nz, where you can find years of training blogs, race reports, podcasts, and coaching videos. If you don't want to miss future episodes, I recommend subscribing to my newsletter by visiting genebeverage.nz or by following on social media, Perfect Flow on Facebook and Gene Beverage on Instagram. For Q&A, send messages to nav at perfectflow.nz.